Hey, this is Pastor Bradley, and I want to welcome you to the Res Church podcast. Res Church is a place where people discover life through knowing and following Jesus. And so we hope that you will be blessed by this message. We are in a study through the book of Romans. So if you turn with me to Romans chapter 1, we started this last week. Uh, We got through the first seven verses. We're going to pick up in verse 8 today. Romans chapter 1, verse 8. If you are visiting, there are connection cards on the seat backs in front of you. They're long and green, a little bit of white in them. Take that, fill it out before you leave today. Turn it in at the welcome desk, which is right behind uh, this section over here. We have a free gift for you. Again, thanks for being with us. Romans chapter 1, verse 8. I'm going to read through verse 17 today. If you're there, say amen. Amen. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I want you to know, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles." I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. Everybody say faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word and how you inspired this apostle to write it, this letter to the Romans. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would open our minds and hearts. You would teach us, that you would show us, that, Lord, we would grow in our understanding of you, of your gospel, And, Lord, of the faith that you have called us to live by. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, last week we studied through Paul's introduction. He introduced himself. He tells us how he sees himself and how he sees the people that he's writing to in light of this gospel of God. The gospel of God that he says in the first seven verses is plan A. In other words, God's not reacting, God's not changed his mind, and Paul has not come up with some newfangled idea. But this gospel is rooted in the prophets in the Holy Scriptures. God's been working the same plan from the get-go. That's a good place to amen. God's been working the same plan from the get-go. Amen? So he says it's plan A. He said that this gospel of God is all about Jesus, the one who came, who died, who gave himself, and it's through Christ that we receive grace. And it is this grace, this unmerited favor of God that has had a powerful effect on Paul and on the Romans. Paul said that it's by grace that I've become an apostle. 
that I now belong to God. I'm a slave to Christ, he says. And I'm called, I'm chosen, I've been set apart for this gospel. And he says, you Romans, you belong to Christ too. You're not your own anymore. And you are called saints. You are set apart for God and his gospel. And all of this has come by way of grace through Christ. That's how Paul starts his letter. Okay. Now, I told you last week I was going to share a little bit about the occasion for this letter. Why did Paul write it? It's a really important question that we need to understand is why, why is he writing this letter? Well, here's what we know for sure, and he says it right here in these opening verses. This is a church in Rome full of Christians that he's never seen or met. He's never been there yet. We know he's going there, right? Like for those of you that were with us through our study through the book of Acts, you remember Paul's frightful journey to Rome as a prisoner of Rome, shipwrecked. You know, he went through all kinds of stuff just to get there. We hadn't been there yet. That's clear from these verses. He's never been to this church. And there's a lot of debate over how this church actually got started. Some people think that the Apostle Paul, I mean, excuse me, Apostle Peter started this church. Others think, and this is really interesting to me, that this, this couple, you might remember them from Acts, Aquila and Priscilla. You remember in our study through Acts, Aquila and Priscilla, they, they are a believing couple that got run out of Rome when the Roman emperor ran a bunch of Christians out of Rome. And they came to the city of Corinth, which is the city that Paul wrote the letter to the Corinthians, right? They came to the city of Corinth, and they hooked up with Paul, started making tents, and they became really good friends. And Paul later refers to them as valuable ministry partners, I can't help but wonder if it was Aquila and Priscilla that maybe, I can't prove it, maybe first informed Paul about this church in Rome and at the very least fueled his desire to get there. Regardless of how this church got started or how Paul first learned of the church, here's what we know. Paul's not writing to unbelievers. He's writing to Christians. This is not an evangelistic letter. Now, you, you might have heard of the Romans road to salvation. How many of you have heard of that before? Raise your hand. Okay. A lot of you have heard that before, and that's great. It's select verses from Romans by which sometimes people explain the plan of salvation, how we come into faith in Christ, how we are saved. Okay? I'm not disparaging that at all, but Paul did not write this letter fundamentally so that unbelievers would become believers. He wrote it to believers, which begs a question, doesn't it? Paul, if they're already saved, why spend all this ink explaining the gospel? Because they already believe, right? I mean, in verse 15 he says, as he's writing this letter, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you. Paul, isn't that just a little bit of overkill, man? I mean, Romans. That much of the Bible. You're going to write all of this before you get there, and then when you get there, you're going to preach the gospel again? Two things I take away from that. Number one, I think that what Paul realizes and understands is that even though these believers in Rome believe, they need to grow in their understanding of the gospel. 
Amen? I had a two-hour phone call with a friend of mine this week from college, lives in another state. And my friend is struggling with his faith right now, big time. He's got big questions. He's questioning everything. Some of his questions would make any of us squirm. And I started to talk with him about what he's questioning, what he's doubting, what he's wrestling with. This man's been saved a long time. And I, and I just simply said to him, after he tells me, you know, he says, I'm, I'm trying to just open my mind and listen to other people and other opinions, do, read some other things and try to understand. I'm like, listen, man, fine, good, whatever. Are you reading scripture too? And this was his response to me. What's the Bible going to tell me, basically, that I don't already know? And, and we kind of groaned. The first service groaned when I said that too. We groan at that, but I have a feeling that a lot of us maybe even subconsciously live that way. That, well, I'm saved, I believe, I know that Jesus died for my sins so that I can go to heaven when I die. So I don't really need to dig all that deep into Romans or any other place in Scripture. No, let me tell you, believing people need to rehearse the gospel, not only because we need to learn, but we need to keep believing. And I'm going to talk more about that in a minute. So that's the first thing I take away from this occasion. I think Paul wants to get to Rome and do ministry without having to start at zero. He wants to lay a basic gospel foundation with believing people so that when he gets there, man, we can roll. We can do some ministry. I think that's his, one of his primary motivations, which to me removes some of the intimidation factor with this letter. A lot of people hear Romans, oh, you're going to study through Romans, and they go, oh, that's just complex, that's for theologians and scholars, and I can't wrap my mind around that. You realize Paul's not writing to educated people who have a seminary degree. He's just writing to believers about Gospel 101. This is basic, in Paul's mind, basic Gospel understanding. So as we dive into this letter, here's what we need to understand. We need to rehearse the gospel. We need it. And we don't have to be afraid that this stuff's going to be so complex that we can't understand it. We, first of all, Paul's writing to everyday ordinary people like you and me. Second of all, we have the help of the Holy Spirit to understand this gospel through which grace comes that gives rise to this incredible life transformation we call Christianity. Amen? All right, so that's the occasion for this letter. Now, something that we need to keep in mind. I think this section that we're about to study is crucial to our understanding of the rest of the letter. I think Paul is laying the foundation of faith. And let me, let me just show you that. Look at verse 8 again. First, I thank my God through Christ Jesus for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Verse 11. I long to see you that I may impart some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Verse 17. For in it, talking about the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith, as it is right, written, the righteous shall live by faith. You, you think the main point might be 
think so. And I think we've got to keep that in mind throughout the rest of this letter. You know, as we finish chapter 1 and get into chapter 2, what we're going to see is that Paul's got to tell us the bad news before we get the good news. How many of you understand in order to appreciate the good news, you need to also understand the bad news? And here's the bad news. I'll give you a little teaser. This is not explicit in today's text, but there's a pointer, there's a hint. Here's the bad news. God's holy. And human beings are not holy. And that's a huge problem. Huge. Because unholy human beings have no ability whatsoever to fix our unholiness. And so if there's going to be a solution to that problem, it's going to have to come by some other means than human effort. What did we just sing about? You made a way where there was no... That's why he's our champion, right? He's our champion because he conquered something we couldn't conquer, and that's the gap between us as unholy people and a holy God. And so Paul's teeing us up to understand that if salvation's going to happen, if righteousness is going to be something that we say of people, it's going to have to come by way of faith, not human effort. So what is faith? What does Paul say about faith? Just in these few verses, I see three things. Look at verse 8 again. Number one, he says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. So, two things I see there about faith. Number one is Paul's thanking God for it. Listen, human beings can produce casual belief on their own. I think the weatherman's right. Right? I believe Clemson's going to win. I'll leave that alone. I want to say some other things, but I'm not going to. I believe I will live to be pick a number. We can we can 90. Okay, thank you. Um, I'll take that. We can conjure up casual belief. This is not casual belief. And I think we tend to talk about faith as though it's casual belief. Like, I I believe in God. I believe Jesus. I believe that the Bible is true. And that has no more depth than our confidence in the local weatherman. Paul's not talking about that. Paul's talking about something radical, deep, Something that cannot be accomplished by man. It is a work of God. Yours and my faith in God through Christ Jesus, we did not conjure that up. It comes to us by way of grace. This same apostle will write in Ephesians and say, We are saved by grace through faith. And this not of ourselves, lest any man should boast. It is the gift of God. Amen? So, first of all, think, think Paul says about faith is that it's a gift. So I'm, I'm thanking God, Romans, for your faith that what? That everybody's talking about. 
He says it's known in the whole world, and he uses the word cosmos, which means universe. I think it's a bit of hyperbole. I think what he's referring to is the known world of his day, the Mediterranean world. Paul's a prolific traveler, and everywhere he goes, apparently, people are talking about the faith of these Roman Christians, which, again, underscores what we talked about last week. This is not ordinary. This is not common. This is not something that's just you know, familiar to the world. This is an uncommon, extraordinary faith that these Romans have, and everybody's talking about it. Here's what it says to me is that faith produces, faith in God, genuine faith in God that comes from Him, produces publicly. It's visible. It changes everything. It changes the way we live, the way we interact, the way we respond. This is the kind of faith that, you know what the whole point of the book of James is? Is if your faith will not carry you through suffering and crisis, what good is it? Right? And, and he goes on example after example after example throughout the book of James saying, look, if your faith is dead, if it's not producing, and Paul is, some people think Paul and James are in conflict. In our pastor's meeting this week, we just had a resounding, unified response that, you know what, Paul and James are in perfect agreement. Because Paul, here's what Paul's saying, Romans, your faith is producing publicly and it's visible. So that when, by grace, the gift of faith comes and we abandon ourselves, we totally depend on God for everything, for salvation, righteousness, and holiness, it's going to change the way you walk through that divorce. People are going to take notice of that. People are going to take note of the joy that you maintain even when you're sick. People are going to be in awe of the peace that you have when you go through the financial crisis, and God's going to get glory through it all. Faith that comes from God by grace, it produces publicly. Amen? It's a gift from God, and it produces publicly. Verse 9. What else does Paul say about faith? He says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that, by some, that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. That's a big statement. We use it as a cliche. God is my witness. Really? God is your witness of what? That you pray without ceasing for each other? You pray that way, right? Without ceasing? Paul is calling God himself to bear witness that without ceasing he prays for the Romans. Wow. That's amazing. So, there's more there, but Suffice to say, the same faith that's producing publicly in the Romans is producing privately in Paul. Right? Because the only person he can call to bear witness of his prayers is God himself. Right? Without ceasing, I long to be with you. I long to come to you. He has the Romans on his heart. And without ceasing, he's praying for them. So the same faith that's producing publicly in the Romans is producing privately in Paul. Okay? You got those two? Now, 
Here's the question. Why does he want to get there? Verse 11. For I long to see you that I may impart some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Here's why Paul wants to get there. Because the same faith that's producing publicly in the Romans is producing privately in Paul. He expects when we get together, it's going to produce in our community. And we're going to be strengthened, we're going to be encouraged in the faith. Why? Here's what he says. When we get together, Romans, the Spirit is going to show up. He says, I'm expecting to be able to impart some spiritual gift to you and that we're going to be mutually encouraged. When we get together, the Spirit's going to show up and He's going to work in a supernatural way so that we are strengthened and built up in the faith. Is that our expectation when we come together? Is that why you sing? Think about what we do. Why do, you, why, why do we sing when we get together? We're rehearsing truth together. We are singing truth together. And the expectation should be, I'm going to be strengthened in the faith. And I'm, I'm going to get there a little bit more in just a minute, but if I live by faith, the righteous live by faith, how huge is it that I get together with Patrick and I get together with Joe and Kyla and we are mutually encouraged because the Spirit shows up and works in such a way that I'm strengthened in the faith. You with me? Is that your expectation? If it's not, then perhaps you need to dive into Romans, dive into Scripture. Perhaps you need to grow in your gospel understanding. Because that's the promise. It's all over the Bible. If it's your expectation, but it's not your experience, whether that be in your home, whether that be in casual social settings with people of faith that you get together with, whether that be in your small group, your life group, or whether you come to church on Sunday morning, if that's not your experience, you know, perhaps... Our lives, our relationships have become so cluttered with temporal stuff. There's no room made for the Spirit to work in that way. I thank God that right now, and I'm not trying to brag, but I want to encourage you and I want to build up your hope and expectation. I thank God that in my life right now, I have as many dear friends as I've ever had where there is gospel-saturated conversation. In other words, we don't just get together and talk about football. We have gospel conversation. We pray with one another. We read Scripture together. And you know what? My faith is built up because of that. The faith that I live by, that I can't muster on my own, that I can't conjure up on my own, that's meant to produce publicly and privately and is also meant to be built up in Christian community. That's what Paul says about faith. Now, we got that right about faith. Just want to make sure you're with me. Here's, here's the next question. 
what is the connection between the gospel and this faith that we live by that's meant to produce publicly, privately, and in community? What is the connection between the gospel and this faith that we live by? Verse 13. Is that where I left off? Yep. I want you to know, brothers, that I've often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I'm under obligation both to the Greeks and the barbarians, to the wise and the foolish. And then this verse I mentioned earlier, so I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. So here's what I, let me just sum that up. Here's what I think Paul is saying. This gospel of grace that I have received freely, right? That's, that's how we receive it. It's gospel of grace that I've received freely. I'm indebted to share it with everyone. In other words, if I did not earn this gospel of grace, if I can't earn grace, I can't earn salvation, if grace was given to me freely, then how can I not dispense it freely? You with me? That's why he says, I, I'm, I'm under obligation to Jews and Gentiles. I'm under obligation to Greeks and barbarians. I know that sounds weird. He's just talking about culture and uncultured people. To the wise and the foolish, the, un, the educated and the uneducated, I am obligated to this grace that I've received fully, freely, to dispense it freely. You with me? Now, you should ask a question right there. Wait a minute, Bradley. What business does Paul have in saying this grace that I've received, I can dispense, or I'm obligated to dispense? Isn't it God who dispenses grace? And you're right if you're asking that question. God gives grace sovereignly and freely according to his good pleasure. God is the one who dispenses grace. The question is, how? What is the means by which God dispenses grace that gives rise to faith? Okay, what's the connection? Verse 16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to sal for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. For in it, talking about the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. That's, that's powerful. And, and you, you kind of have to stop and think about it. What's he talking about? First of all, I think he's saying this. God dispenses grace through the proclamation of the gospel. Right? That's how grace comes. Faith comes by and hearing by the word of God. Right? So when we proclaim the gospel... God uses that proclamation to give grace that produces faith. And one of the results of that is that unbelievers become believers. Right? Unbelievers become believers. That's what I think he means. In it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith. When you and I were saved, this is what happened. God gave grace that produced faith so that you were able to see, perceive, and embrace 
the righteousness of God for your life through Christ. Right? Because your righteousness, my righteousness, is as filthy rags. Right? Nothing I can do to earn salvation. So if I'm going to be righteous, it's got to come from somewhere else because Lord knows Bradley can't produce righteousness. Right? So by grace, I'm able to say, I receive the gift of righteousness. I believe and trust in Christ for salvation. The one who knew no sin, who became sin for me, that I might become the righteousness of God. I receive that by faith. You with me? So salvation happens when grace produces faith to trust Christ for salvation righteousness. Then he says from faith for faith. What's he talking about? From the same gospel through which God dispenses grace that produces faith, the same gospel that brings us into belief is the same gospel that keeps us believing. From faith for faith. How many of you understand you will never, ever, ever in this life outlive your need for faith? Case in point, my friend, he needs more faith. And there's only one way that faith is going to come. That's why I ask him, look, you want to listen to opinions? You want to listen to podcasts where people are raising all kinds of questions about the universe and about life and about God? Fine. Educate yourself. Understand the questions that are being asked and the theories and ideas that are out there in this world. But there's only one way that believers are going to keep believing. That's why I think he says, I'm eager, Romans, who are already saved, to whom I'm writing this whole letter about the gospel, I'm eager when I get there to do what? Preach the gospel. Because in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. I hope, if you don't get anything else out of this sermon, out of this text. The sermon's only as good, it's only good if it helps you see what's written. And here's what's written. We live by faith. And we don't only live by the faith that came at the moment of salvation. You know, we're debating whether or not to go there but we live in a church age that in a church culture that in many ways has been shaped by the notion of the revivalist movement that I just make a decision for Jesus I repeat a prayer after somebody and then I check the Jesus box and I'm on my way to heaven and just try to keep my nose clean between here and there Does that sound like anything like what Paul's saying? The righteous live, live by this, not casual belief, this utter and total abandonment and dependence on the God who gave up his son that unrighteous people could become righteous. 
We don't just need past faith. We need future faith. You know what I believe? I believe God has taken responsibility himself to keep saved people saved. The Bible's clear. Those who endure to the end, right? Not, not just you know, some casual prayer in, 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 in when the music was really loud and good you know, 20 years ago. Those who endure to the end will be saved. So we know that. But I think Scripture's clear is that God has taken responsibility to make sure that saved people stay saved. And how does He do that? He does that by keeping believers believing, trusting, abandoning themselves. And how does faith come? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Yes, faith produces publicly. It produces privately. It produces in community. But let me tell you how God has sovereignly chosen for faith to come and produce through the proclamation of the gospel. It's why we sing. It's why we challenge you here at Res. Get in a circle of people. Open the scriptures. Ask your questions. Bring your doubts. God's grace is powerful, so powerful, that it can take doubting people into faith. You don't have to be shy about your questions, and you don't have to be shy about the things that you go, God, I just don't understand. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. In it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith. That's where people get reborn born again, and for faith, so that born again people keep believing. Let me give you two challenges and I'm done. Here's challenge number one. Make the rehearsal of the gospel. Make the rehearsal of the gospel central in your life personally. Don't just depend on me on Sunday mornings. Don't even just depend on your life group or small group. Make the rehearsal of the gospel central in your life personally. Because some of you might have come in here this morning feeling like a failure. Like, like your, your, your flesh... One this week. You know, your, your anger won the day. Lust won the day. You know what you need to remember? You know what you need to hear? His mercy's brand new every morning. You are who He says you are. God doesn't call people from death to life through condemnation. He calls them through death to life through grace. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Yes, fear a holy God, but relish and savor with overwhelming gratitude a holy God who says, look, you couldn't earn it. 
You don't deserve it, but you're mine. Challenge number two. Praise team, come on. Make the rehearsal of gospel truth central in your relationships. Whoever you're in relationship with that's of faith, make it your eager expectation that the Spirit wants to work in and through those relationships in such a way as to strengthen you in the faith and to, to strengthen them. Make room for it. I mean, let's be honest. We're so used to casual relationships that it actually feels a little awkward at times unless there's a crisis to get serious and talk about what really matters. And I see some of you nodding because you know that, that that's, it feels that way. It's like I get together with my friends and we, we talk about music or we talk about movies or we talk about books we're reading or we talk about sports or we talk about you know our vacation that we went on this summer. And then to actually say, hey, what's going on in your soul? Where are you living in Scripture? Can I pray with you about? Would you pray for me? Could, could, we, could we actually, in our relationship, carve out some time and some space for the Spirit to work, for Him to show up and through gifts build us up in the faith? Because I don't know about you, but I... I've at least come to the place where I realize if I'm going to live, I'm going to live by faith. And I want my faith to produce publicly on the world stage and I want it to produce behind closed doors when nobody else is looking. And in my relationships with people of faith, I want the Spirit to show up and work. Because I don't just need faith for today. I need it for tomorrow and five years from now. I watched one of our trustees walk his daughter down the aisle and give her hand in marriage to another man in our church Friday. I need faith for that moment when it comes to my little girl. I mean, I mean really, I, I, I'm not just joking. I need faith for everything. I got to depend on him for everything. And so I need I need you and you need me. We need each other and we need the gospel to be central and to be rehearsed all the time. As Jesus said when he was tempted, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's how we live. Stand with me. Holy Spirit, thank you. I just savor the fact that you're here right now. 
And you want to work in our gathering to build up our faith. That's, that's wonderful. It's so beautiful that you want to do that, that you're here to do that. And that even as we sing, as we have studied your word and we sing, you're, you're going to build each other up, build us up in the faith that we live by. You're going to strengthen us with faith that we need for tomorrow. We don't know what's ahead tomorrow, but you do. And so would you, would you give us that faith? Would you strengthen us as we sing and maybe even as we, we hear the voice of the person next to us, whether they're on pitch or not? Does it matter? Because we're singing truth. We're singing gospel right now. And the gospel is the power of God for salvation from faith for faith. The righteous live by faith. In your name, amen. We hope that the Lord has blessed you through today's message and we would love to hear from you. Tell us how God is working in your life and how we can pray for you. You can also help us reach others by investing at resfaith.com give. Thanks again for joining us.